Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Loyalty to Rangers is what binds us. And together, we are stronger. Launching for the 2021 season, the MyJers membership program is a new way to get even closer to the club you love. It's the one place where you can access benefits like ticketing priority, club discounts, and exclusive competitions and experiences. There's even a limited edition welcome gift when you join. Visit rangers.co.uk slash myjers to join today. Always Rangers, always loyal, always rewarded. Jones delivers. Manchester, brace yourself. Rangers, 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 easy, okay, okay. Well, Rangers very strong. Again, I've got a battle fever on, but I find the Rangers to win this. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode from the Battlefield Podcast. Today, we're joined by our former supporters liaison officer, Mr. Jim Hanna. Jim, good afternoon. How, how are we doing? I'm doing fine, Scott. Um, good. It's good to be on. Keep him safe. Yeah, nothing else for it when you're over seventy. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. Aye. I suppose that allows us to have chats like this and talk about Rangers, I suppose. So there's been a positive to it. Yeah. I'm always on Facebook or Instagram or something else. Aye. Um it's keeping up with everything that's happening, you know. It's a bit yeah. Um, it's no good times for the Rangers fans or I suppose any other fans, you know, no getting any no getting seen or their team playing. Yeah. Um and disappointing that the season never ended. I know, I know. And also it looks like we don't know how long we'll be locked out for going forward either going into next season. Yeah, so I've noticed that. I mean I've no um I've no got a season ticket, but um according to what I've been reading, the boys are saying they've got to pay for their season tickets and then there's a chance they might know be seeing the first, I don't know how many games. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I certainly, at least. 
I sit in the Copeland and it's you, you've just got to again. It, it, I've always said to my mates and stuff like that, it's your own personal choice whether you you choose to renew it in these times. Fortunately, I can renew it, and I wouldn't have it any other way. But we know we might not be getting this year, so it's it's a bit strange. But hey ho, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. Just, just think you go. Um, I, I don't see why. I don't see why they can't. I mean, I would be watching the football. Aye. Just for the life of me, I can't understand how they can't put, say, 5,000 people in these stadiums that are hardly 50,000, 60,000. I know. And just scatter them out, scatter them about. I know. And then they've had their chance in the next 5,000 get. Do you know aye. what I mean? Aye, exactly. It's no rocket science. Oh, I don't know if you've seen the Porto fans. I think it was last night. Porto fans are on the roof watching the game. Jim, we'll go back to obviously you growing up. Obviously, being a, a huge Rangers supporter and your influences that, that, that took you to Rangers, etc. Who who were the influences? Who what made you fall in love with the club? Well, I stayed in Shewhall Road, and, I, and I'm not too sure if you're aware of the the, the area around about Ibrooks. But mm-hmm. I'm a bit. I, I was about ten minutes walk for Ibrooks, so I could look at my bedroom window and look to my right, and I could see Ibrooks. You know, I'm mm-hmm. talking about the old Ibrooks. Aye. Um. So. I mean that and my dad and my my brother, my older brother, um, they they went they went everywhere, all the away games and the home games and um, back back in the days, um, they they would go to the pub. So I mean I was a lot younger, you know. My, my brother was probably about twelve years older than me. So him and my dad would go to the pub. So they couldn't take me to the games because kids weren't allowed in the pubs. And my mum wouldn't let me sit outside the pub waiting them coming out. <laughs> so, um, I had to pick my games. You know, my dad used to take me now and again um, when I was really young. And uh, believe it, believe it, no, it was a big European game. I think it was against Sparta or Rotterdam, I think it might have been. Or one of the Spartans. But I wanted to go to the game. It was Wednesday night and um, my dad said, no, you can't go. Too big a game. The crowds, you know, be massive. You're too small, you wouldn't see it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, my mum was on it. On, so, my mum ended up taking me to the game. <laughs> and we were in the, the bit that was run about next to the dairy, where the dairy end was, uh-huh. just near where the Sandy Jardin stand is, um, and to the right hand side near the, the coat one. And um, she fainted. It was absolutely, honestly, I couldn't see any of the game at all. Uh, my dad was right, and the crowds were like, I don't know how many, I don't know how many thousand were there, probably about 90,000 in back in the days. Uh, and um, she fainted and we had to get the stretch on the ambulance. <laughs> well, my dad was going, I, I, I got, my memory is my dad always shouting, I told you this would happen, I told you this would happen, I'm not even going to get seen in the game now. So we had to go out the game, you know, and, and she was all right once we got out. Uh, um, but no, I, I mean, I ended up, Getting taken on as supporters bus when it was, I don't know, about nine or ten, you know, going up to Perth is the one that sticks in my mind. The old Mutant Park, you know, uh-huh. where um, St. Johnson played. And, uh, and it was a good day. I loved it, you know. He's just, it's like everybody else. I mean, when you go to Rangers, you just get that bug and it's uh-huh. in your blood and you can't, you want to go again, you want to go again, you want to go again, you know. It's an old age here. Uh-huh. A hundred percent. That was the start of, um, that was the start of, you know, following Rangers, you know, and plus in the school, everybody, 
everybody in the school apart from there was two. One of my mates was a Tudlanock fan, and one was a Hearts fan. Um, the rest were all Rangers fans. And I used to go. My mate who was a Tudlanock fan, um, he used to go to Cathkin, and when Rangers were away, I would go with him. We would go up to Cathkin and watch Tudlanock. You know. Soft spot for Thurlanock uh, that time, and you know, it was great when Rangers played Thurlanock. You know, um, he would come to the Rangers then because obviously we get more tickets than they did, but and it was just cramming as many people as you, you could in the days. You know, right. there wasn't any, I can't even remember any stewarding at all if there was any. Um, but no, it was, it was, it was great days back then. I remember going to Scottish Cup final in 62. I'd be at about 11, 12, and I went up with my mate. And the two is walk for Dremoyne, where I stayed, um, all the way up to Hamden. Um, got a lift out. Uh, I think it was a Dundee game. Dundee or Kilmarnock. Dundee. Anyway, we got a lift over, the two is. And then they came back out again, walked all the way in. You can't do that. You wouldn't be able to do that these days, you know. <laughs> but, memories, um, you know, early memories following Rangers, you know. Uh, and I suppose you couldn't really think of what was coming for yourself, obviously, in an official capacity with the club. You know, it's probably just, I mean, probably then you're still dreaming that you could play for the Rangers at some point. Ah, you're right. I was, I was never good enough to play for Rangers, um, to be fair. I love playing football. Um, uh-huh. I just, even I know I still dream about playing for you know. And, um, no, it was, uh, it was, when I think back now, I mean, I was in Barcelona in 72. And uh, back in the days, it was Colin Steen was, was the hero as, as mm-hmm. in 69 onwards. Um, in 72, when he scored the goal, I went absolutely nuts, and as well as everybody else. Then we bud scored. Never in my wildest dreams would I, I get to think that I was going to meet these guys, not just meet them, but become friendly with them, pals mm-hmm. with them. Um, I've been everywhere with the two guys, um, as well as Sandy as well. But um, sometimes you go to pinch yourself and say, you know, what, is this really happening? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I never I never really met Steeny until, oh, it was, I think it was the 20th anniversary um, and they had a big marquee and just had a marquee on the pitch. And that was the first time I ever met him. And I'd say to Sandy at the time, I said, can you introduce me to Colin Steen? And they had the, the real European Cup winners cup there. Still got the pitch in there. And um, Steeny, which I always say to me this day, he says, you were an ignorant thief. Because <laughs> I went, um, Sandy says, this is Jim Hanna. And he's always wanted to meet you. And Steeny says, well, you've met me now. And, uh, Sandy's going, what do you mean? That's terrible. I, mean, I, I didn't. I, I just wanted my photographs taken. You know? <laughs> uh, very great, Colin Steen. Uh, I became I became really friendly with him. You know, had a dinner for him for a book launch when he brought his book out, and um, had a few bob for him. You know, and had a big dinner, great night, and uh-huh. uh, we had a casino, um, just along the trades, and um, keep pals with him and but loads and loads of other players. We played during that time, you know, in the uh, 60s, 70s. I mean, I never ever thought that guys like Eric Caldo, 
Jimmy Miller, Ralphie Brand, Davey Wilson. Um, I would become, they all worked at Ibrox, you know. In fact, yeah. I got Eric Caldo. Eric Caldo was the first guy to start in Rangers as a hospitality meet and greet. Mm-hmm. And Bob Riley was a commercial manager at the time. And um, Eric used to come into the office. And um, Bob Riley would say to me, Jim, do you get any ex-players coming in? For tickets and all that, when I worked in the ticket office. And um, I'm jumping away ahead here. No, that's fine. Uh, I says, um, I says, ah, Eric Caldo comes in, Alec Willoughby, um, you know, players like that, um, Jim Baxter. Um, he says, well, oh, could you get, um, he says, Eric Caldo was his favourite player. He says, could you get Eric to come over and see me? I says, what about that? And he went, I'm thinking of starting a meet and greet thing and, you know, Eric would be great. Eric was a salesman and he had the gift, you know, of talking to people and uh, and the old Rangers style, you know, he was second to nothing, you know. He, um, so Eric came in and I, I kind of thought, I always thought Eric was a kind of, no aloof, but kind of too polite to do that sort of thing. And I says to Eric, I remember him sitting in my office and I says, Eric, would you be interested in coming back to work with Rangers on a match day? And he only watched in his face. It was like, me saying to you, would you like to come? <laughs> he went, you kidding me on? I went, no. He went, of course I'd love it. I said, oh, don't. So I phoned Bob Riley up. And Bob Riley says, can you bring him round? So I took him round and then he started. And then Alec Willoughby, I think, was the second one. And we got started. And then it was just went on for there. And, you know, the other players. We Alec, we Alec Willoughby is, is a great guy. But, um, he had all the contact numbers, the other players, because he used to organise all the do's and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so following on for that was they started a big group of Rangers fans including Jim Baxter as well What was that like for you though obviously growing up watching the guys and, and they're there and you're kind of rubbing shoulders with them the first time and creating something that's lasted it's, now it's hard, to, it's hard to explain Scott but it was a, it was a feeling of um, an awe in them um, and I, I I wasn't really in awe. No, no, I wasn't in awe that I couldn't speak to them or anything like that because I could. Aye. Aye. Um, I was, I was fortunate or unfortunate, whatever, whatever <laughs> you want to say it. But um, I'm time served engineer, and um, I ended up um, being a, a shop convener. And there was 250 men, so I was used to meeting the management and getting in for meetings and and all that sort of stuff. And it was good grounding for. You know, starting work at Rangers because if you weren't, uh, if you were a bit kind of scared of anything, I don't think you would have really got on. Yeah. Um, and I, I started, I'm going to go back now, I started working in the, the turnstiles. A boy, an engineer, said to me, Jim, why don't you, knew I was going to one of the games and all that. He said, why don't you come and work in the turnstiles? I went, I'm not really interested. I want to see the games, obviously. <laughs> and I'm not wanting to work, you know, when I'm doing it, I'm working all week. Um, and then he came a couple of weeks later and he went, Jim, I've got you an interview, you've got to come in today. And I went, Jimmy, I told you I didn't want it, I didn't want it. <laughs> you know, what in the turnstiles. So anyway, I went along, suited up, call on tie and all that, and uh, went for the interview and you, you had to pay a bounty, £20 bounty. That was back in 77 or something. And it was a lot of money, it's twenty pounds a lot of money. It was like half my wages at the time. But um so I paid the twenty pound and uh, for the bounty. Just I think it was in case you ran away with the money, which nobody's gonna do that if you're working <laughs> do you know what I mean? Come on. Um, 
But I went along and he, and he, he said to me, um, can you start next week? And when I asked, he said, oh, what am I doing? He went, you're going to the turnstiles. And I went, oh, I thought I was stewarding. Because that was the normal procedure. You did about stewarding and then you, you graduate after a couple of years you get on the turnstiles. He went, no, no, you're, you're more intelligent to do stewarding and we'll put you on the turnstiles. I think they needed turnstile operators as well. So, I mean, I was working in turnstiles for oh, 10 years or something like that. No, no, it's not long as that, but eight years, nine years. And I got the chance, um, I used to sell tickets for concerts and all that. Yeah. And I took the redundancy of the engineering, so I wasn't working at the time. So I was going along, um, um, the guy who was in charge of the stewards and the turnstile operators said to me, Jim, you, you're not working? I went, no. He says, would you mind helping out in the ticket office? Um, you know, selling tickets, because you've already sold them for concerts or what have you. I says, aye, it's fine. Say a, a couple of bob, do you know what I mean? So yeah. I went in there and um, basically that was, that lasted about, I don't know, six weeks or something. And then Campbell Ogilvy said to me, listen, there's a chance of a full-time job going um, in the ticket office, would you like it? And I went, you know, I went, <laughs> you kidding me on? He went, no, this is, I'm serious. And he said, the only thing I've got to talk about is money. And um, I've got to say the money was absolutely crap. Uh, <laughs> was, uh, the money I was I was getting allowance for housing and, um, you know, your unemployment benefit. I was getting more on that and what Rangers were offering me. I said, listen, this is... Uh, one of the best things in my life that's going to happen to me. Aye. Can I? I've got a family too after that, a wife and three kids. I said, I just can't do it. I said, I need to. He said, well, listen, I'll put, you can go and meet the financial controller, which I did. And um, he said to me, oh, he says, I understand totally what you're saying, Jim. He says, um, go away and work out, you know, what a management amount is for you, you know. So I went, fine then. So I went away and and my wife's going, you can't take that job. You can't. I mean, she didn't. She said, no, I need to get back in engineering where the money was, you know. The heart's starting to roll the head, Jim. What's that? It says the heart's starting to roll the head a wee bit. I mean, me. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't having, she was having done it, you know. But eventually, anyway, uh, we came in agreement and then and I started in there. And uh, very quickly, I mean, see, back in the day, Scott, there was probably about 14 full-time members of staff in the whole of the club. And I'm, that's out with the playing staff, obviously. Aye. Working about backroom staff, groundsmen, um, telephonists, secretaries, ticket office. That's, I mean, there wasn't any commercial, there wasn't any hospitality or nothing like that in the days. Um, and, and, you know, we, we get, we get um, dining with the players at lunchtime. The ticket office was at the front door. You'll not remember that. The tick office was at the front door, right next to where it was. If the front door was there, like two yards and no, even that, that's where the tick office was. And it was about, I'd say about 10 yards away from the dressing room. So all the players would all come in in the morning. And, oh my God, it was like, <laughs> you know, you, you had a job to do, you know, but you just couldn't focus on your job for the players coming in and saying good morning and all that, you know. When coming in. Oh man, this is. This is unbelievable. And, and I, I work, you know, they're looking for people to work 
um, going to lay at night, like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, set up for, this was, I'm jumping this before, as soon as came, but as soon as came no long after that, and it just, it just exploded, you know, everything. And uh, we were selling tickets at the Port of Cabins, then, then, the, then the Govan stand it was at that time, and the tea bars there, queues were right away down to Govan. Unbelievable, you know, because they didn't have, I think we had about between 12, 15,000 season ticket holders at a time, maybe not even as much as that. Uh, as soon as came, it, it just it jumped up to about 30,000. 30, mm -hmm. um, to, to manage that, I mean, and we say, you know, we're selling tickets for the games. Could you work on it? I said, ah, you know, so you only going to hate about 12 o'clock at night. Aye. It was you for maybe about 8 o'clock in the morning. But it was nothing, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It was just, I'm going to work with Rangers, you know. <laughs> and you could get the pitch and uh, when I'm looking at you, your backdrop, um, I would come at that tunnel and I would walk. There was always a ball line about. Uh, and I remember one, it was I was back in the tickle, was to get tickets to take over for the sellers. And I, I ran over the pitch with the ball and I fit it right into the Celtic end. And so <laughs> And then we went to the, we the stand and I'm um, getting the guys their tickets and their floats or whatever, you know. Um, oh, it's great, absolutely great memories. Um, fantastic time. Obviously, though, you're saying there, Jim, prior to soon as coming in, Rangers were maybe, what, fourth, fifth, etc. in the league at the times, you know, when, when, before soon as came. Yeah. Then, when, then when soon as comes in, obviously the rival, the butcher, Chris Woods, Graham Roberts... The list is endless, you know, the players that we signed that time. What, you said, obviously, ticket office is, is close to the main entrance. One day you're looking up and you see Terry Butcher walking by you, you know, probably the best centre-half in the UK at the time, if not further afield than that. And how? And, and he's also, he's our player, he's, he's one of us. How, how do you cope, you know, how do you react to that? as Because you're a fan, first and foremost, and I don't care what MD says, and I spoke to Colin Stewart, etc. on the podcast, and all Rangers fans that have been lucky enough to work for the club, you, you, that fan side you doesn't go away. That wee boy inside you doesn't go away. As far as Rangers are concerned, for me, no, it doesn't. The, the the one person um, that was really annoying and I uh, couldn't even when they said good morning to me, I couldn't even say good morning. Was Graham Sooners <laughs> because um, I was in, I was in a way a fan of Graham Sooners to, to be honest. When he played with Liverpool and Scotland, I never thought we got the best out of it, Scotland, but. Um, but when he came to Rangers, it was like, oh, I was, I mean, I'd worked there when, when Jock Wallace was a manager and then uh, John Gregg took over and then Jock Wallace came back again and then we weren't like going anywhere to be, to be fair, you know, but Jock was a great guy and I had all stories about him, but big Jock, but, um, and Greg as well, but. Soonest, when, when I met Soonest, I was just like, uh. Aye. Aye. I met Terry Butcher, I was like, I, to be honest with you, I'd met Terry Butcher, Ipswich played a friendly against us, they'd won the, I can't remember what called it, UEFA Cup at the time, I think it might have been called UEFA Cup, and they brought it to Ibrox for the pre-season friendly, and uh, Terry Butcher, we used to, the uh, constable operators or stewards all used to queue up the the away dressing room but and Terry Butcher came out the away dressing room with a cup and um he's looking he's going, Do you want to hold us? you know, and we're going, We've passed it along your way, you know. <laughs> twenty twenty uh, stewards before he, he had to take it and run out in the pitch with it, you know, but oh 
that was the first time I'd actually, I never really met him because I never spoke to him, but um, had a face-to-face with him, you uh, know? And I told Butcher that story as well. Um, oh, well, Big Butcher was a great guy, you know? It's just a shame, you know, what happened to him with, with Rangers, you know, and the mm-hmm. Rangers fans. And and I suppose he did get a bit carried away with the whole thing and uh, with the Rangers and Celtic thing. And yeah. It was a shame because he was, a, as you say, he was probably the best centre and a half. You know, we'd been a world of living. Mm-hmm. If you were picking a world of living at that time, which would be in it. Mm-hmm. And probably Chris Woods as well. And yeah. the other guys that came, Graham Roberts, uh, Trevor Francis. And then we, we had the Colin Wests and all that. We were all nice boys. Um, but they never really they never really made it at Rangers, you know. Uh, there's a few of them. The thing with Sunis was if you didn't if you didn't think you were gonna make it, just get rid of you right away. It didn't matter if we bought you last week. <laughs> if you didn't think you were gonna make it, it just moved you on. Yeah. Which yeah. is the right thing to do. I mean right. no other manager I know and, who did anything like that was Advocare. Yeah. Advocare would change things. He would change his tactics after 10 minutes. Yeah. Watch the game and go, it's not working. You off, you off, you on, you on. Change it, change the formation. Aye. And, you know, you could see it. You still hear that being shouted today. Advocate would have changed this. You know, if it's not working today, you still hear that. That's a shout. That's a fact. You know, it's a fact. But aye, the, uh, the fact that meeting the players in, um, in the morning, um, I'll tell, tell a funny story, and it's about like Scott Nisbet. Um, Scott was a, a fantastic prospect. He went to Brazil with Scotland under 15s and under 16s, and he won the man of the tournament, you know, the best player in the tournament. I mean, you're talking about Brazilians and... <laughs> Well, the rest of it, you know, and he was, he, was a, he was a great prospect, Big Scott, but he wasn't the brightest boy. <laughs> but he, he, he came in and the guy, Matt Cook, who used to be the tick office manager at the time, and uh, Matt used to smoke these Super King cigarettes in the office. And uh, Scott liked to be smoke as well. He's only, he was only 17, if it was 16, 17. And um, he came in and he, he took Matt's cigarettes who were lying just at the door. Uh, they had a half door, used to have a full door, but they all came in and started walking about. There was too much money in tickets, so what they've done was they called a stable door. Aye. The, the joiner kind of cut half of the door, so the bottom half was locked. Aye. So he, he comes out, he looks over, and the wind's over, and he takes Matt's fag. So he's, he's picked a fag up and he's let the fag up, and Matt's going, he's cursing at him, you know, he's going like, hey, so and so. And he'd a mug of coffee, Matt. Big Scott used to his fags and put twenty fags in. <laughs> he was oh. Anyway, the, the end of the end of that season, he was uh, was called up to the gaffer's office. He was always getting into bother. Big Scott, um, one of the lads, and um, he came down the stair. And I tell you, at the time, it was only about twelve, fourteen full time members of staff. There was only two phone, two phones in the whole place. Well, three phones. It was a. Uh, Financial director, uh, company secretary, Campbell Ogilvy, the switchboard, um, don't know where the switchboard for, and the tech office had one phone, you know. So Big Scott come down, he says, can I, can I phone? He just changed his whole way of talking, you know, he just was very polite, can I phone my mum? And he was crying, and I went, what's the matter? And he went, I've just been freed, the gaffer's just 
told me he doesn't want me here any longer. So he phones his mother up and he's very, very polite. Now, the worst two people that I ever met that couldn't understand what they says, and I'm talking about um, Spaniards, Russians and everything, um, was Scott Nisbet and Jock Wallace. The two of them could have a conversation, you wouldn't <laughs> understand a word they said. You know, they just a dialect was the same dialect. Hey, a big man, what do you teach that kind of thing. Um, so anyway, Big Scott's on the phone to his mum, he's, he's very polite and he's spoken and that to his mum and he's crying. So anyway, he puts the phone down. I says, I can't believe that. I said, maybe he's just kidding you on, Scott. He went, no, he's deadly serious. He said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then one of the boys came in and says, you have to go back up and see the gaffer? And he went, oh. He says, what do you think it is? I said, maybe he's going to tell you he's giving you a last chance or something. Uh -huh. So he, he ran up the staircase, um, marble staircase, and he was in two minutes or something. So Walter and Graham were playing good cop, bad cop. <laughs> so, uh, Graham's going, I want rid of you. He's wanting to keep you. Right? He says, and you can thank him that I'm going to give you one last chance. He says, you better buckle down, stop your carry on and get on with the football. And he came running back down the stair again. He went, how did you know? And I went, well, I don't know what. He went, how did you know I was, I was getting a second chance? I went, I, thought, I was just guessing, Scott. I was trying to pacify you. And that boy changed. He totally changed for that day. All right. And it was a thing with Walter and, and, uh, and Sunnis, you know, with the two of them in there. And Walter said, Walter's a good guy. And, and Sunnis <laughs> a bad guy. And, uh, as soon as I had to, I don't know what it was. I plumped up the courage at the end of his first season to ask him for his jersey and at the end of the season Aye. and for him to sign it and he went no problem Jimmy says but you need to remind me because I'll forget all about it this was like halfway through the season or something um, so obviously he gets sent off at Aberdeen eh? and I heard Graham Roberts' podcast he was talking about and um we came back and, and I said to him, the match day, we played St Murn that day, it was the last game of the season. And um, we'd won the week anyway, but um, I said to him, Graham, you told me to remind you, and he went, oh, he says, Jim, I've no, um, he, says, I, he says, I'm no playing, so I've no got a jersey. He says, go along and see wee Doddy, wee Doddy was the kit man at the time. Go along and see Doddy and tell him, I says, it's to give you one of my jerseys. So I'm going to like you wee Doddy, and Doddy went, do you know you're about the 20th person he sent along here looking for his chairs? <laughs> <laughs> for his brothers, his father, and his <laughs> and everything. I went, all right. But I went. How many chairs left here? <laughs> and he goes, I'm getting number five, Terry Butchers, man. I went, that's his, oh, that's my bad, give me that, you know. So he gave me that, and then, so we, we had the trophy. I think it was two trophies we won that year, wasn't it? Can't remember. Anyway, that's it. We had the trophies in our office, and um, the, the Daily Record photographer was in, Eric, Black, Black, maybe his name, big Rangers fan. Um, changed days, eh? Majorly. <laughs> <laughs> he, he comes into the tickle office and soon as taking pictures as soon as for the trophies. And I says, um, Graham, I've got your jersey here, could you sign it for me? So he turns over the back and he goes, that's not my jersey. She says, that's Butcher's jersey. I says, I know, but Dodie says, 
um, you know, you've got all your jerseys away. <laughs> away. <laughs> and he goes, ah, leave it with me, I'll see him. I said, no, I said, just leave it. You know, just sign that. I said, I'm fine. I'm happy with that. I'm delighted. But my boy wears it every day to Ibrox. He's, he does Broxy Bear in the match day. Brilliant. He, he, he turns up every day with that with Sunnessy jersey on. <laughs> Fantastic. He that time. Um, and he's been wearing it. He's, before he'd done Broxy, he was wearing it to the games and all that as well. Uh, um, ah, it was great meeting all the players and, and having your lunch with them. You know, you had, um, you used to sit upstairs and you would have your, it was always pine beans or chips or something like that, you know. Again, changed days, isn't it? <laughs> Well, it actually changed them because when Trevor Francis came, Trevor Francis used to eat like a big bowl about, about that size full of um, pasta with nothing in it, a wee bit of olive oil. That was it. That was all it. And I went, oh, no, I can remember John Brown around going like, what the? F- <laughs> <laughs> this gives me energy and stuff. No, but the, the Italian influence, you know. Right. This, um, we haven't seen it's been in Sampdoria and um, that was a kind of start of a change you know um, they were still getting pies and sausage rolls and all that and like coist and, uh, they the coist <laughs> the pies and the sausage rolls and Durante um, but this was him he just uh, he scoffed the whole bowl Nobody knew at that time, you know, pasta does give you energy. Uh, it's a good thing to eat. And he was, he was like that, Trevor uh, Francis. Um, but a few of the players started changing their diets. I think it was Sunus actually was making them change their diets. Uh, um, so, I mean, sitting in the days, I can remember Gerante coming in. He, he was he was a nightmare. Gerante was a um, funny, funny boy, you know. I wanted to kind of ask you that, Jim, though. Obviously, the the... the the kind of jokey culture at the club, you know, when Durant, McCoy, Ian Ferguson, etc., when all of them were there, did it ever spill onto you? Did you ever get kind of strung up by them at any time? Or? Um, no, I can remember one. I was just going to tell you a story about Durant. There were a couple of stories, right? And, um, Durant would come in and he would just he'd be sitting taking his dinner and somebody would say something to him and just throw a knife. <laughs> You'd be sitting like that and you go, woof. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't meant for you, I was meant for that. <laughs> You're taking your life in your hands with you know? He's a funny, funny, funny boy. I loved him. Um, one of the best players I've seen. Um, and I remember him getting his license. And we were sitting taking our dinner and he's gone. And Graham comes in. Graham never ate with the players, he always ate in his office. Oh. Graham Souness comes in and he goes, ah, right, I'm taking, I'm opening a book. Janet has just passed his test. I'm opening a book on how many weeks it's going to be before he loses his licence. <laughs> and I think, it was, I think it was a week and then he crashed it in the roundabout or something. <laughs> uh, so they're, up, they're not taking bets with a gaffer. You know. and that was a time when Janet was a fantastic player. Absolutely. A, a really, really nice boy, local boy. Um, Take him away for the rest of the boys. He was a lovely boy to talk to. Uh-huh. Seen a different Durante. But when he was with his mates, he was he was a character, you know, he was uh-huh. like McCoy was and uh Derek Ferguson was kind of less like that, you know. Ted McMahon was another character. But Ted was uh he was always up to something, Big Ted. He was always up to well, there was a the famous one where I think it was Durant, Ted McMahon and Coyster. 
in the kebab shop. Aye. And ended up, I don't know, fighting with somebody or something, you know, they were all carpeted in the morning. Um, so the same service was fed up with them all, do you know what I mean? Trying to control them. How and do you manage that? You used to put wee Dodie in charge of them, and you used to say to Dodie, <laughs> if they're going to a function, you go away in them, right? And Dodie was getting old, you know, and I remember once we went to Oak Patrick, and we met up in the, a pub in the town. Uh, it was Coiste, Durante, Derek Ferguson. Um, I think the boy's name is, the boy from Liverpool, was it McGregor? No, no McGregor, um, McDonald, maybe. I'm not too sure anyway, but uh, they were all there and they were all having a good smile and a carry on. And then we go, we were going to Oakwood Patrick Bowling Club. My mate Peter Brotherson organised a big dinner, uh, a night for them and did Q&As and all that. This was early doors when Q&As had started. And um, so we got to we got to Oakwood Patrick and then we went into the Telstar pub and they had a big meal already for us. And we came out of there drinking again, came out of there. Durant had buggered his knee at the time. So he had this that knee clamp thing on his, his leg and he had the crutches. So we came out of the we came out of the Telstar pub to go to the bowling club. And um Coyce is walking about with his with his two sticks. Durante's hobbling. He's hobbling with a with a knee brace. <laughs> and I went, you need to give him that knee brace. <laughs> and he goes like that. He says, that's just a laugh. So the busing for the toilet, it was about a ten minute walk to the bowling club. So I run behind the shops and I'm peeing up against the wall and I'm going, oh, I can't believe this. Boss is going to come and the headlines are going to be Durant, Ferguson, um, McCoyst and her Rangers employee are all lifted for pissing. Oh, no. <laughs> um, ended up a good night, you know. It was, it's like kind of one of, the, one of the early, early stories, you know. Uh He's, uh, we've got Durant, he's coming on the podcast at some point. Um, we're just trying to get a date arranged with him and that to try and talk to him because I was born in the 90s, I grew up in the 90s, that's my team, you know, the nine in a row team. And yeah. I, just like yourself, I, I, I mean, I've interviewed David Robertson, Charlie Maller, etc. And it is, it's, it's, it's mad to think of, I mean, I'm talking to him through a computer as well. I can only imagine what you were like, you know, in person, but I'm talking to him through a computer and you're going, I remember growing up. And that's what I wanted to be was these guys, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 just mad. You can I said about a couple of stories about Jock Wallace, Jim. Obviously, with this being the Battlefield podcast, it's and I've got a chance. Just before I go into about Jock, it was a, uh, um, I think it was that night. It might have been another night. We were in this, the the pub in the town, and then we came out. And they were joking and carrying on in the pub and shoving one another and throwing <laughs> drinks and one another, that usual crap. But came outside pub and there were some people walking along and they just totally character just changed and uh-huh. they'd be a Rangers player. Uh-huh. And so when they were they were engaged with the with the general public they were just like uh-huh. really nice and, and I'm going, I can't believe he's doing it. <laughs> 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 you know, the, you know, boys day and then you come outside and they meet the public and they're like really, really calm and nice and you know, that's a Rangers thing. That was Aye. a Rangers thing, you know, that was um, the things that they get taught when they were, they were all there when they were young, you know. Aye. I bet you what, there was a, a couple of stories. It was, it was one of the cup finals, I was it? And um, 
obviously the Rangers contingent were all in, sitting in the comp seats. And we were playing Aberdeen. I can't remember. We played them a few times in cup finals in Aberdeen. Um, but this time it was really, really nervy. And I think Aberdeen were maybe getting the better is it at one point. It might have been any extra time. So anyway, I was jumping up and down. And, and then the next thing I just felt was fucking shudder. I had my shudder, you know. Evan, sat down. You're going to have a heart attack. I turned around to say something. I went, what? And I seen it was Big Jock. And then I went, all right. So I calmed down right away and he's going, you're going to have a heart attack, son. He says, you better just calm down. Just watch the game, but you couldn't. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, it was for Christ's sake. You know? he, was, he was laughing and joking. And all that. Another time, I, I, loved, I went to Love Street and I was taking some tickets back. There was unsold tickets. In the old Love Street. And um, a joke stopped me and he went like, son, you know, he was like, who's up? And I was like, that's his joke. He says, you know, the tickets here, I says, I've only got ground tickets, I've got one stand ticket. The rest of them are terracing tickets, I had about 20. And uh, he says, this is Alice and this is Goisty's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I don't think she was his fiance at that time. Um, he might, she might have been. Um, so anyway, he went, Goisty was meant to leave his comps, but he's not left his comps, which is bad for the course for Goisty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, he's always like, He's other things in his mind, and all that. <laughs> but you think of it, leave Jock Wallace and, and his girlfriend. He's probably going away to somebody else anyway. So I goes, listen, I've got one stand ticket. You can have that. And he went, no, no. I says, well, let me go into the offices and you know, Love Street, and I'll see if they've got. It. I'll, I'll explain who you are and if they can get another ticket. So I went in and explained it, and I knew the boy there. And then Jim, that one stand ticket's the only stand tickets left in the whole place. Um, I said, well, this came out, right? So I went back out again. I said, listen, there's no any tickets there, no any more stand tickets. I had a Terrison ticket. Um, big Jock went like, said, give me the Terrison ticket. Alison, you take the stand ticket here, and away you go in. So Big Jock went into Terrison, and there's a photograph of him. Brilliant. To this day, he's in the crowd. He was so big, you know, and he's, he, his face put on a sore thumb. And um, I think you know, back in the Ibrox on the Monday, and I says to Coisty, what happened? He went, oh, it's just got your eyes there. He says, uh, I, done. I says, I think I left him in the dressing room in my pocket or something like that, you know. <laughs> he says, was he a big man raging? I went, like, I said, no, he's mad raging about his, your girlfriend. What he was about. <laughs> Fantastic. Obviously, I never get a chance to see Big Jock and obviously Rangers manager but just his whole demeanour I've said a few times on the podcast that some of the videos you see when he says about I was confident that before it started obviously now I've got the battle fever on it's it that to me that's the way Rangers manager should be you know it's all about bravado as well it's all about we're Rangers we'll do this we'll do that it doesn't matter but they do we're here you know what I mean and that's I like that I, I think I think things like that set us apart for the rest and again I've said this before the way a Rangers manager conducts his sales, the way he dresses on the touchline, etc. I, I think it's stuff like that that's, that sets your club aside for the rest. Definitely. And I'll tell you, uh, um, that, the whole thing you're talking about, the Rangers way, I was at, I was in Alan McDonald and myself were invited to Time Castle. They'd opened uh, like, uh, a heart, it was for Hearts fans, 
it was like a, what do you call it, a memorial place in the corner. And um, they were opening it up and Sandy was getting, they had a, it was like stars on the bricks and um, plaques it was. Um, and they were, Sandy was, was the only player to get on it. Mm-hmm. And um, so me and Reed Oddie, we met um, John Robertson, who was still working at Hearts at the time. And uh, John Robertson still, still called Reed Oddie Gaffer. You know, because Dodie was was a gaffer and Sandy yeah. was his assistant. And he goes, I'm sitting there having a cup of tea with him. And he goes, you know, gaffer, he says, I'll never, ever forget, he says, what you and Sandy done for this club. He says, before you came, he says, we were, um, not a rabble, he says, but we weren't really, um, we didn't look after ourselves or anything like that. He says, and you and Sandy came along, he says, and the first thing he's done was, made us turn up with a collar and tie. So, even at training. Yep. He says, uh, and I remember at the time I was thinking, oh, this is stupid, you know, he says, but he says, and he said, no, the other stuff that you brought for Rangers, when you, you were brought up at Rangers, you brought all that to Hearts. And he says, and that made a huge difference to ordinary players. It made them feel special. So, I mean, that was the Rangers way that was getting carried on. Yep. And, you know, Hearts, um, Sandy and Wee Doddy took them to within a whisper of winning the league. And mm-hmm. Scottish Cup, they get beaten the final of the Scottish Cup, um, and they lost the league in the last day of the season. You know, all they did today was think it was a draw and they'd won the league. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's just a, an example of the Rangers' way. I mean, even now, I mean, if I was every day I worked the Rangers, I was in a common time mm-hmm. every single day, um, uh-huh. and it was just something that you were used to. Even working the turnstiles, you couldn't work in the, you weren't allowed to, in the to work for Rangers even as a turnstile over there unless you had a call and tie on. Mm-hmm. So it was for the top all the way right down to the plebs. Um yeah, to wear a call and tie. I think you even see a guy who's been at the top like Stephen Gerrard, the the manager, that even he's touched upon it and mentioned that that is something that he can attain on as well as oh this is tradition at this club we buy any I think probably maybe Stephen would pick his, his tracks out, I don't know, but because it's kind of a modern way now. It's a modern kind of manager. You look at Pep, he's not really dressed in anything, to be honest, but you look at a Rangers manager and they get the club suit on. And I also like the fact that, and it's a wee silly point, to be honest, and it's probably no important in the grand scheme of things, but even going back to the tie that it was like when Sunnis was there, I just like the wee throwbacks as well, because Gerard, him and Sunnis, the, the comparison and the parallel between the two of them, I just, I think it just sets our club aside, you know, and that's things that I'm proud of as a, as a fan. Yes, uh, Stevie Gerrard's certainly taken on board all the traditions and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, which doesn't mean to say that things shouldn't change. Uh, some yeah. things change, but uh, you, you still keep your Rangers kind of connections. Your, your, um, you know, everything they do with the club, um, you might change it kind of like, they're changing where they eat now and uh, where they meet and all that. I, I've not actually seen it because I've not really been run about the club the way I used to be when um, when I worked there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something I'd done. When I moved for ticketing to Fans Liaison, mm-hmm. I was in ticketing for about 17 years and I moved to um, being the Fans Liaison. I can remember Martin Bain saying to me at the time, um, or I was, I, I'd already moved out of the ticket office to put me on to project management because um, we, were, we were just bringing in the smart cards and all that at the time. Yep. And um, he says, you, you're one of these guys, you, you come up with all these great ideas, but 
you're too busy to follow them through. So um, the changes when I when I remember starting on Rangers in a ticket office, I was the only one with a calculator. See, <laughs> <laughs> that's how I get started. But <laughs> um, I was the only one with a calculator. I know I used to come up and get a line of my calculator. Do you know what you couldn't have them? Anyway, but we didn't have any computers or nothing like that. And when uh, Freddie Fletcher, Bob Riley, and when Swinnis came, and uh, Hugh Adam, when they, when they started selling all the season tickets, they'd say, they'd done the government front, they'd done the Premier Club first, because that was the dearest one, they wanted to sell that out. And mm-hmm. they told everybody they won the, they won the moon for there, they won the, going to sell season tickets and else, so everybody jumped at it. Mm-hmm. And then they opened up the government front. Mm-hmm. Then he opened up with Colton Rear, and then he opened up with Colton Front. Then I just went on in the main stand, you know, and it was, right. it was like they, they've this is good business, they've they've thought all this out, you know. Right. Um, but we didn't have any, we started processing all these season tickets without a computer. Um, there was nothing, everything was all done manually. The, the season books, the old season books, we had this, we called it a three part ticket. The top part was um, your seat details. That went in the inside cover of the season book. The next one was uh, your name and address to get printed out. That was on the envelope for your season book to go in. Another one was to get all your details that put on an index card and filed away in a drawer. <laughs> That's how it worked. And I swear, I swear to God, we every single penny tallied at the end of the day. It was so simple. Absolutely. It got more complicated when they started using computers. Yes. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, I was, I was right into technology and, um, and, and I always said, you need, to get, you need to get computers in here. And the, the people who done the ticketing system, they introduced these tools with the, these screens with the, you printed the ticket online. Mm-hmm. Because I was asked, you know, what would be, if you had to change it, what would you do? I said, first thing I do, I've been down to Spurs, I've been down to Liverpool, Everton, Manchester United, West Ham. They've all got online ticketing. There's no ticket lying about because it used to be like thousands and thousands of tickets all lying about mm-hmm. for different games. I says, it's just no the way to do it. I says, the ticket shouldn't be printed until it's sold. And so they took that on board and they got the computer people in and and they they brought in the online ticketing, which was great for us, you know. Mm-hmm. Security-wise as well, so, you know, there wasn't anything going missing. It was the easiest thing in the world just to pick up. No, that ended that. It was the easiest thing to pick up a book of tickets and put it in your pocket. Aye. You know, and I think the Nadia's tickets were like £11 or something like that each. Mm. Um, so... But we never ever done it, you know, because we used to used to if you give somebody tickets, you give them a control sheet, and if they sold the tickets, whatever they returned, they had to the money equivalent. So I always kind of worked out. But um, I've sidetracked again. I can't remember what we were talking. About. No, no, it's fine. Listen, I kind of I'm conscious of the time as well, and I've taken up a, a good bit of your time today. So I'm kind of trying to go on because I'm a big believer in we need to own up to the parts of our history that Arnie is so great. Obviously, we've had a few in, in ours. Certainly in my lifetime, the big major one is 2012. You were obviously supporters liaison manager at that time. You had Sandy Jardin there, you had Alan McCoy there. 
how does that, because I mean, you've spoke in great depth about yourselves and, and the level you're at compared to the players, right? So you're basically the, the part of the club that, that the fans are worried about because we know the players are going to play for in our club. But you yeah. guys, it, it, some people have worked there all their life. It's not as easy for them to jump ship into another job. So how, how did you guys feel at that time? Um, shock, uh, disbelief, worried, you know, I can't even think of mere words to, to, to describe how we felt. Um, t- to be honest, we, we, we were at NASA convention Sunday now mm-hmm. when we found out we were, we were in the administration. And I think we had about two days to go. And it was in the Bahamas, believe it or we don't know. Sandy and I were sharing a room and, uh, in the Bahamas in the hotel. And Sandy went, Jimmy Nick, go home. I says, but what are we going to do, Sandy, when we go home? How are we going to get a flight? Because the flight was already booked for us to go home. Mm-hmm. He went, I don't know. He says, but we can't sit here and do nothing. I says, well, I've got our phones. I've got access. To, I've got my laptop. I've got access to emails. I says, we can talk to people. Nobody knew what was going on anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, Craig White was the only one that knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I says, there's nothing we can do, Sandy. We're going to be home in two days anyway. You might as well just you know, stick it up for two days, which we did. But when we went back and uh, I was in contact with people, fans from all over the world. Um, and they're all going, you know, I've got this money. I want to get this money to the club. I want to get this. You know, everybody's all, everybody's thinking, we need to keep the club afloat. We need to keep the club afloat. Um, fine. Um, try to think of a way to do it. So I, I came up with a concept of the, the Rangers Fans Fighting Fund. Mm-hmm. And um, I got some, well, I explained it all to Sandy, and, and um, Sandy went, oh, how's it going to work? And blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I explained it to Sandy, and Sandy went, unbeknownst to me, he went up to a training ground, and he spoke to McCoy. And um, McCoy phoned me, and says, could you come up tomorrow morning and explain to me in detail how this is going to work? So I did, I went up the next morning and I explained to him and he went like that, I says, um, we need you to back it, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be, be behind us. And he went, aye. Um, to, to be fair, he did. Um, but he wasn't, he wasn't doing interviews or anything like that on it. Sandy was doing all that stuff. Um he was there for the, the photographs and the PR side of it. Um, he wasn't really involved. Walter Smith was more involved than Coisty. Mm-hmm. Walter had asked on the committee and Walter says, Jim, I'll come along to any of your meetings. And Walter was brilliant, to be fair. Um, not a lot of people know that, you know, Walter's mm-hmm. in the fighting fund, but he came in the meetings with the rest of the guys that I had assembled. And um, I remember somebody saying, um, Walter says, what are you going to do with the money? You know, say you get, I don't know, two million or five million or whatever. What are you going to do? And somebody says, We'll get the manager to buy players. And I went, no, no, I don't, no, I can't do that. He says, that's the fans' money. He says, can you imagine? He says, I'm telling you because I was a manager. I would hate to get the fans' money and buy a player. He says, every manager buys a dud. <laughs> he says, you imagine if I spent £5 million of that money and buying a player and it was a dud? Aye. He says, no. He says, you need to think otherwise of doing it. And Walter actually came up with a few good suggestions. And Walter was good. With PR, you know, with Sandy going in front of the cameras and speaking to the cameras, what well, was brilliant. 
um, Cruise there's other things in his mind. He had to tempt it on that sort of side that you know. So um, what else? We used his name and all that all the time, and um, and, and he done some interviews and he came up with a great line about um, um, is that great? I can't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do walking away, wanna? We don't do walking away. We I don't do walking away. Tough one, do you know what I mean? We don't do walking away. So that was that was kind of used with everybody, the fans and all that. Terrible times. I mean, to be honest with you, I would I'd be lucky in the space of I don't know, three, six months if I slept two hours every night. Because mm-hmm. I was on I was on line talking to guys in Australia, <laughs> Dubai, America, all the time, you know, and thinking up with different ways of um, trying to raise money. And um and the fighting fund was successful in that that they helped pay for the pitch and and, and other things as well, you know, like say the youth players um, never really paid for wages um, because there was money set aside when they went in the administration, set aside for the wages, but there wasn't the money put aside for um, anything else, like the pitch getting resurfaced or mm-hmm. training ground getting resurfaced, um, paying for um, scouts for talking sake, paying for kids to go to tournaments, all that sort of stuff. Um, millions of things that we've done um, at the end of the day it was it took its toll on a lot of people it did yeah. take its toll and probably myself as well and um, and I do believe in, when, when Sandy passed away and he took the cancer I do believe that because my mother and my sister died it, and I do believe it's stress related mm-hmm. a lot of cancers and, uh, and, I, and I think that's I'm not saying that's why Sandy took cancer, but I think it might have been a contributing factor because um, we were everywhere. We, we just went, you know, I was going as a fan's liaison, but Sandy was the front man. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of shied away from everything and, and let Sandy because people are, you, you could be working with Rangers for 50 years, but you're still just a Rangers fan. Mm-hmm. Sounds strange, but if you're an ex-Rangers player, fans, Aye. you know, they get tunnel vision, you know, Aye. they just want to meet that player, they just want to meet. And Sandy was brilliant. Sandy gave up his soul, everything, to, you know, to help the club. Yeah. And at one point, it got that bad that we got the joiner to change the locks in the trophy room um, because the shares had went missing, the Arsenal shares. And um, we were going to change the lock. There was only two keys. I had one, and Sandy had one, the trophy room. Mm-hmm. So nobody else, even if the administrators then came in to sell stuff, they wouldn't get in. They just had to break the door down. And it's... at that point, we were thinking, what are we going to do then? You know, we'll get, we'll get people in to stop them getting in. Mm-hmm. That was the kind of stuff that was going through your head at the time, you know? Um, but it was it was really stressful. But, I mean, it, it's, it's well on its road to, re- to recovery now. Thank goodness, you know? I, I, hope, I hope, sincerely hope that Stephen Gerrard is able to win a title next season because not only will he remain a legend, but it's going to get the club back to where we belong. Mm-hmm. Is that, that that first trophy is going to be huge though? And people keep saying the league title is all that matters, and it is, of course it is, but I think the League Cup's the first one that's going to come around, we think, depending on how the league's going to be. Uh, the season's going to be structured, we don't know what's going to happen, but if that League Cup's the first one that we need to go and try and win, I think we need to win it, because 
it's it changes the mentality a wee bit, and you hear Sunnis talking about that, you know. Hundred yeah, percent agree with you there. Um, at the end of the season, they won the league. Um, but yeah, I agree with you there. If we get one of the two cups, if we get the two cups, we win the treble. I mean, that's, that's dream stuff. Utopia. That's that's what we all want. But um, I'll settle for the league first. Hundred percent. Along the line, the league cups a good a good tester. The, the bar. I'll set the bar up for the rest of the season. Hi, hi, Jim. Thanks very much for joining us. I think there's a hundred and one things that I've known that I want. I've got many things written here under me. Spoke with I know, I know. Maybe Mickey, maybe do another one further down the line um, when it when it suits us both. You know, but thanks very much for joining us today. It's no tremendous and and so. Inspiring to listen to, you know what I mean? What it was like because ultimately you did love part of your dreams as well. You worked for the club that we all love, so well, thanks, thank you, Scott. You were, um, you just put me easy. I was a wee bit kind of nervous before it, um, <laughs> then it was really well, so it did easy to speak to Scott. So. Rangers, Rangers, easy, okay, okay, look out, everyone, we're on our way. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.